Podcastle 216 for July 10th, 2012. Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Part 1. Translated by Sir Richard Burton. Rated PG. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I am Dave Thompson, and yes, you heard right. I said part one, because for the next two weeks, we're going to try something different. Every once in a blue moon, Anna and I tend to run some pretty long stories. Not very often, really, just like last week. And the week before that. And the week before that. Okay, we do it all the time, but you love us for it, right? Maybe sometime soon we'll do a special 30 minutes or less episode month. And maybe someday all the gold we've been smuggling through the clouds at Podcastle will be enough for us all to live happily ever after on. Anyway, this time we thought we'd try something a bit different and split the tale in two. Honestly, it's another experiment for us. Both Anna and I generally like the idea of a story being its own thing, and you being able to stop and continue it at your leisure. That said, there are some stories that are just too long to do in one episode. Conan, we're looking at you. And splitting stuff up might give us the ability to do more of it. Now, don't worry. For those of you who love our giants, we're still planning on doing those. We've got another few coming down the pipe pretty soon. Or apologies for those of you who don't like our giants. Listener, I'm blinking. However, this week's story is a tale from the Thousand and One Arabian Nights, and the framing of those stories lends themselves to cliffhangers and serializations. So for the next two weeks, we'll be bringing you... Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Interestingly enough, there's a slight controversy concerning this story. Some critics believe it's not actually a legitimate part of the Arabian Nights. The theory is that one of the European translators of the tales, Antoine Gaillard, an 18th century French Orientalist, may have heard it in oral form from a Middle Eastern storyteller from Aleppo in modern-day Syria. Regardless, the first known text of the story is Guyon's French version. Podcastle author and reader Amal El-Motar talked to us briefly about this and told us, Part of the rationale for considering it to be a French forgery, along with Aladdin, is that Alibaba is a nonsense name. Ali is a very common name. Baba is what a child calls a father. But the two don't really mix into title or nickname or forename-surname combination. All that said, Sir Richard Burton, whom we get today's translation from, claimed it was part of the original collection. So, forgery or translation? It's hard to know for sure, but regardless whether or not it was originally included, it's now one of the most beloved and well-known stories of the Arabian Nights, a great story in its own right, and we're very happy to present it here at Podcastle. Our reader this week is the nefarious, charismatic Steve Anderson, Thief to some, hero to others, but amazing voice reader to us all. Steve does freelance acting, voiceover work, storytelling, living history, and educational and interactive theater. You can find out more or even hire Steve for your own voice acting needs by clicking over to his brand new website about his voice and video work at sgacreative.com. So, keep an eye out for dangerous bandits. Open sesame and enjoy the story. Alibaba and the Forty Thieves In days of yore, and in times and tides long gone before, there dwelt in a certain town of Persia two brothers, one named Kasim and the other 
Ali Baba, who, at their father's demise, had divided the little wealth he had left to them with equitable division, and had lost no time in wasting and spending it all. The elder, however, presently took to himself a wife, the daughter of an opulent merchant, so that when his father-in-law fared to the mercy of Almighty Allah, he became owner of a large shop filled with rare goods and costly wares, and of a storehouse stocked with precious stuffs, likewise of much gold that was buried in the ground. Thus was he known throughout the city as a substantial man. But the woman whom Ali Baba had married was poor and needy. They lived, therefore, in a mean hovel, and Ali Baba eked out a scanty livelihood by the sale of fuel, which he daily collected in the jungle and carried about the town to the bazaar upon his three asses. Now it chanced one day that Ali Baba had cut dead branches and dry fuel sufficient for his need, and had placed the load upon his beasts, when suddenly he espied a dust cloud spiring high in air to his right and moving rapidly toward him, and when he closely considered it, he descried a troop of horsemen riding on a mane and about to reach him. At this sight he was sore alarmed, and fearing lest perchance they were a band of bandits who would slay him and drive off his donkeys, in his affright he began to run. But forasmuch as they were near hand, and he could not escape from out the forest, he drove his animals laden with the fuel into a byway of the bushes, and swarmed up a thick trunk of a huge tree to hide himself therein. And he sat upon a branch, whence he could descry everything beneath him, whilst none below could catch a glimpse of him above. And that tree grew close beside a rock which towered high above head. The horsemen, young, active, and doughty riders, came close up to the rock face and all dismounted, whereat Ali Baba took good note of them, and soon he was fully persuaded by their mien and demeanor that they were a troop of highwaymen, who, having fallen upon a caravan, had despoiled it and carried off the spoil and brought their booty to this place with intent of concealing it safely in some cache. Moreover, he observed that they were forty in number. Ali Baba saw the robbers as soon as they came under the tree, each unbridle his horse and hobble it. Then all took off their saddlebags, which proved to be full of gold and silver. The man who seemed to be the captain presently pushed forward, load on shoulder, through thorns and thickets, till he came up to a certain spot where he uttered these strange words. Open sesame! And forthwith appeared a wide doorway in the face of the rock. The robbers went in, and last of all their chief, and then the portal shut of itself. Long while they stayed within the cave, whilst Ali Baba was constrained to abide, perched upon the tree, reflecting that if he came down, peradventure the band might issue forth that very moment and seize him and slay him. At last he had determined to mount one of the horses and, driving on his asses, to return townward, when suddenly the portal flew open. The robber chief was first to issue forth. Then, standing at the entrance, he saw and counted his men as they came out, and lastly he spake the magical words, Shut, Sesame! Whereat the door closed of itself. 
When all had passed muster and review, each slung on his saddle-bags and bridled his own horse, and as soon as ready they rode off, led by the leader, in the direction whence they came. Ali Baba remained still, perched on the tree, and watched their departure. Nor would he descend until what time they were clean gone out of sight, lest perchance one of them return and look around and descry him. Then he thought within himself, I too will try the virtue of those magical words and see if at my bidding the door will open and close. So he called out aloud, Open Sesame! And no sooner had he spoken than straightway the portal flew open and he entered within. He saw a large cavern and a vaulted, in height equaling the stature of a full-grown man, and it was hewn in a live stone and lighted up with light that came through air-holes and bull's-eyes in the upper surface of the rock which formed the roof. He had expected to find naught save outer gloom in this robber's den, and he was surprised to see the whole room filled with bales of all manner stuffs, and heaped from sole to ceiling with camel-loads of silks and brocades and embroidered cloths, and mounds on mounds of vari-colored carpetings, besides which he espied coins, golden and silvern, without measure or account, some piled upon the ground, and others bound in leathern bags and sacks. Seeing these goods and monies in such abundance, Ali Baba determined in his mind that not during a few years only, but for many generations, thieves must have stored their gains and spoils in this place. When he stood within the cave, its door had closed upon him. Yet he was not dismayed, since he had kept in memory the magical words, and he took no heed of the precious stuffs around him, but applied himself only and wholly to the sacks of Ashrafis. Of these he carried out as many as he judged sufficient burthen for the beasts. Then he loaded them upon his animals, and covered his plunder with sticks and fuel, so none might discern the bags, but might think that he was carrying home his usual wear. Lastly he called out, Shut Sesame! And forthwith the door closed, for the spell so wrought that whensoever any entered the cave, its portal shut of itself behind him and as he issued therefrom, the same would neither open nor close again till he had pronounced the words, Shut Sesame. Presently, having laden his asses, Ali Baba urged them before him with all speed to the city. Reaching home, he drove them into the yard, and, shutting close the outer door, took down first the sticks and fuel, and after the bags of gold, which he carried in to his wife. She felt them and finding them full of coin, suspected that Ali Baba had been robbing, and fell to berating and blaming him for that he should do so ill a thing. Quoth Ali Baba to his wife, Indeed I am no robber, and rather do thou rejoice with me at our good fortune. Hereupon he told her of his adventure, and began to pour the gold from the bags in heaps before her, and her sight was dazzled by the sheen, and her heart delighted at his recital and adventures. Then she began counting the gold, whereat quoth Ali Baba, O oh, silly woman, how long wilt thou continue turning over the coin? Now let me dig a hole wherein to hide this treasure, that none may know its secret. 
Quoth she, Right is thy reed. Still would I weigh the monies, and have some inkling of their amount. And he replied, As thou pleasest, but see thou tell no man. So she went off in haste to Cassim's home, to borrow weights and scales, wherewith she might balance the Ashrafis, and make some reckoning of their value. And when she could not find Cassim, she said to his wife, Lend me, I pray thee, thy scales for a moment, replied her sister-in-law. Hast thou need of the bigger balance or the smaller? And the other rejoined, I need not the large scales, give me the little. And her sister-in-law cried, Stay here a moment whilst I look about and find thy want. With this pretext, Cassim's wife went aside and secretly smeared wax and suet over the pan of the balance, that she might know what thing it was Ali Baba's wife would weigh, for she made sure that whatso it be, some bit thereof would stick to the wax and fat. So the woman took this opportunity to satisfy her curiosity, and Ali Baba's wife, suspecting naught thereof, carried home the scales and began to weigh the gold whilst Ali Baba ceased not digging. And when the money was weighed, they twain stowed it into the hole, which they carefully filled up with earth. Then the good wife took back the scales to her kinswoman, all unknowing that an Ashrafi had adhered to the cup of the scales. But when Cassim's wife espied the gold coin, she fumed with envy and wrath, saying to herself, so, ho, oh, they borrowed my balance to weigh out Ashrafis. And she marveled greatly whence so poor a man as Ali Baba had gotten such store of wealth that he should be obliged to weigh it with a pair of scales. Now, after long pondering the matter, when her husband returned home at eventide, she said to him, O oh, man, thou deemest thyself a white of wealth and substance, but lo, thy brother Ali Baba is an emir by the side of thee, and richer far than thou art. He hath such heaps of gold that he must needs weigh his money with scales, whilst thou, forsooth, art satisfied to count thy coin. Whence knowest thou this? asked Cassim. And in answer, his wife related all anent the pair of scales, and how she found an ashrafi stuck to them, and showed him the gold coin, which bared the mark and superscription of some ancient king. No sleep had Cassim all that night by reason of his envy and jealousy and covetous, and next morning he rose betimes, and going to Ali Baba said, Oh, my brother, to all appearance thou art poor and needy, but in effect thou hast a store of wealth so abundant that perforce thou must weigh thy gold with scales. Quoth Ali Baba, What is this thou sayest? I understand thee not. Make clear thy purport. And quoth Cassim with ready rage, Feign not that thou art ignorant of what I say, and think not to deceive me. Then, showing him the ashrafi, he cried, Thousands of gold coins such as these thou hast put by, and meanwhile my wife found this one stuck to the cup of the scales. Then Ali Baba understood how both Cassim and his wife knew that he had store of ashrafis, and said in his mind that it would not avail him to keep the matter hidden, but would rather cause ill-will and mischief. 
and thus he was induced to tell his brother every wit concerning the bandits and also of the treasure trove in the cave. When he had heard the story, Cassim exclaimed, I would fain learn of thee the certainty of the place where thou foundest the monies, also the magical words whereby the door opened and closed. And I forewarn thee, and thou tell me not the whole truth, I will give notice of those ashrafes to the wah. Then shalt thou forfeit all thy wealth, and be disgraced and thrown into jail. Thereupon Ali Baba told him his tale, not forgetting the magical words. And Cassim, who kept careful heed of all these matters, next day set out, driving ten mules he had hired, and readily found the place which Ali Baba had described to him. And when he came to the aforesaid rock and to the tree whereon Ali Baba had hidden himself, and he made sure of the door, he cried in great joy, Open sesame! The portal yawned wide at once, and Cassim went within and saw the piles of jewels and treasures lying ranged all around and as soon as he stood amongst them, the door shut after him, as wont to do. He walked about in ecstasy, marveling at the treasures, and when weary of admiration, he gathered together bags of ashrafes, a sufficient load for his ten mules, and placed them by the entrance in readiness to be carried outside and set upon the beasts. But by the will of Allah Almighty he had clean forgotten the Kabbalistic words, and cried out, Open barley! Whereat the door refused to move. Astonished and confused beyond measure, he named the names of all manner of grains, save sesame, which had slipped from his memory as though he had never heard the word. Whereat in his dire distress he heeded not the ashrafes that lay heaped at the entrance, and paced to and fro, backward and forward within the cave, sorely puzzled and perplexed. The wealth, whose sight had erewhile filled his heart with joy and gladness, was now the cause of bitter grief and sadness. It came to pass that at noontide the robbers, returning by that way, saw from afar some mules standing beside the entrance and much they marveled at what had brought the beasts to that place, for inasmuch as Cassim by mischance had failed to tether or hobble them, they had strayed about the jungle and were browsing hither and thither. However, the thieves paid scant regard to the estrays, nor cared they to secure them, but only wondered by what means they had wandered so far from the town. Then, reaching the cave, the captain and his troop dismounted, and, going up to the door, repeated the formula, and at once it flew open. Now Cassim had heard from within the cave the horse-hoofs drawing nigh and yet nigher, and he fell down to the ground in a fit of fear, never doubting that it was the clatter of the banditti who would slaughter him without fail. Howbeit he presently took heart of grace, and at the moment when the door flew open he rushed out, hoping to make good his escape. But the unhappy ran full tilt against the captain who stood in front of the band, and felled him to the ground, whereupon a robber standing near his chief at once bared his brand, and with one cut clave Cassim clean in twain. 
Thereupon the robbers rushed into the cavern and put back as they were before the bags of astrophes which Cassim had heaped up at the doorway ready for taking away. Nor wrecked they aught of those which Ali Baba had removed, so dazed and amazed were they to discover by what means the strange man had effected an entrance. All knew that it was not possible for any to drop through the skylights, so tall and steep was the rock's face, withal slippery of ascent, and also that none could enter by the portal unless he knew the magical words whereby to open it. However, they presently quartered the dead body of Cassim and hung it to the door within the cavern, two parts to the right jam and as many to the left, that the sight might be a warning of approaching doom for all who dared enter the cave. Then, coming out, they closed the hoard door and rode away upon their wanted work. Now, when night fell and Cassim came not home, his wife waxed uneasy in mind, and running round to Ali Baba, said, O oh, my brother, Cassim hath not returned. Thou knowest whither he went, and sore I fear me some misfortune hath betided him. Ali Baba also divined that a mishap had happened to prevent his return. Not the less, however, he strove to comfort his sister-in-law with words of cheer, and said, O oh, wife of my brother, Cassim haply exerciseth discretion, and, avoiding the city, cometh by a roundabout road, and will be here anon. This, I do believe, is the reason why he tarrieth. Thereupon, comforted in spirit, Cassim's wife fared homeward, and sat awaiting her husband's return. But when half the night was spent, and still he came not, she was as one distraught. She feared to cry aloud for her grief, lest haply the neighbors, hearing her, should come and learn the secret. So she wept in silence, and upbraiding herself, fell to thinking, oh, Wherefore did I disclose this secret to him, and beget envy and jealousy of Ali Baba? This be the fruit thereof, and hence the disaster that hath come down upon me. She spent the rest of the night in bitter tears and early on the morrow hide in hottest hurry to Ali Baba, and prayed that he would go forth in quest of his brother. So he strove to console her, and straightway set out with his asses for the forest. Presently, reaching the rock, he wondered to see stains of blood freshly shed, and not finding his brother or the ten mules, he forefelt a calamity from so evil a sign. He then went to the door, and saying, Open sesame, he pushed in, and saw the dead body of Cassim, two parts hanging to the right and the rest to the left of the entrance. Albeit he was affrighted beyond measure of affright, he wrapped the quarters in two cloths and laid them upon one of his asses, hiding them carefully with sticks and fuel that none might see them. Then he placed the bags of gold upon the two other animals, and likewise covered them most carefully. And when all was made ready, he closed the cave door with the magical words, and set him forth, wending homeward with all ward and watchfulness. The asses with a load of astrophes he made over to his wife, and bade her bury the bags with diligence, but he told her not the condition in which he had come upon his brother Cassim. Then he went with the other ass, to wit the beast whereon was laid the corpse, to the widow's house, and knocked gently at the door. Now Cassim had a slave girl, shrewd and sharp-witted, Morgiana Height. 
She as softly undid the bolt and admitted Ali Baba and the ass into the courtyard of the house, when he lay down the body from the beast's back and said, O oh, Morgiana, haste thee and make thee ready to perform the rites for the burial of thy lord. I now go to tell the tidings to thy mistress, and I will quickly return to help thee in this matter. At that instant Cassim's widow, seeing her brother-in-law, exclaimed, O oh, Ali Baba, what news bringest thou of my spouse? Alas, I see grief tokens written upon thy countenance. Say quickly what hath happened. Then he recounted to her how it had fared with her husband, and how he had been slain by the robbers, and in what wise he had brought home the dead body. Ali Baba pursued, O oh, my lady, what was to happen hath happened. But it behoveth us to keep this matter secret, for that our lives depend upon privacy. She wept with sore weeping, and made answer, It hath fared with my husband according to the fiat of fate. And now, for thy safety's sake, I give thee my word to keep the affair concealed. He replied, Naught can avail when Allah hath decreed. Rest thee in patience until the days of thy widowhood be accomplished, after which time I will take thee to wife, and thou shalt live in comfort and happiness. And fear not, lest my first spouse vex thee, or show aught of jealousy, for that she is kindly and tender of heart. The widow, lamenting her loss noisily, cried, Be it as ye'er thou please. Then Ali Baba farewelled her, weeping and wailing for her husband, and, joining Morgiana, took counsel with her how to manage the burial of his brother. So, after much consultation and many warnings, he left the slave-girl and departed home, driving his ass before him. As soon as Ali Baba had fared forth, Morgiana went quickly to a druggist's shop, and, that she might the better dissemble with him and not make known the matter, she asked of him a drug often administered to men when diseased with dangerous distemper. He gave it, saying, Who is there in thy house that lieth so in as to require this medicine? And said she, My master Cassim is sick well nigh unto death. For many days he hath nor spoken nor tasted aught of food, so that almost we despair of his life. Next day Morgiana went again, and asked the druggist for more of medicine, and essences such as are inhibited to the sick when at door of death, that the moribund may haply rally before the last breath. The man gave the potion, and she, taking it, sighed aloud and wept, saying, I fear me he may not have strength to drink this draught. Methinks all will be over with him ere I return to the house. Meanwhile Ali Baba was anxiously awaiting to hear sounds of wailing and lamentation in Cassim's home, that he might at such signal hasten thither and take part in the ceremonies of the funeral. Early on the second day Morgiana went with veiled face to one Baba Mustafa, a tailor well shotten in years, whose craft was to make shrouds and seer-cloths, and as soon as she saw him open his shop she gave him a gold piece and said, Do thou bind a bandage over thine eyes and come along with me. Mustafa made as though he would not go, whereat Morgiana placed a second gold coin in his palm and entreated him to accompany her. The tailor presently consented for greed of gain, so 
Tying a kerchief tightly over his eyes, she led him by the hand to the house wherein lay the dead body of her master. Then, taking off the bandage in the darkened room, she bade him sew together the quarters of the corpse, limb to its limb, and, casting a cloth upon the body, said to the tailor, Make haste, and sew a shroud according to the size of this dead man, and I will give thee therefore yet another ducat. Baba Mustafa quickly made the seercloth a fitting length and breadth, and Morgiana paid him the promised ashrafi, then, once more bandaging his eyes, led him back to the place whence she had brought him. After this she returned hurriedly home, and, with the help of Ali Baba, washed the body in warm water, and, donning the shroud, laid the corpse upon a clean place, ready for burial. This done, Morgiana went to the mosque and gave notice to an imam that a funeral was awaiting the mourners in a certain household, and prayed that he would come to read the prayers for the dead, and the imam went back with her. Then four neighbors took up the bier and bore it on their shoulders and fared forth with the imam and others who were wont to give assistance at such obsequies. After the funeral prayers were ended, four other men carried off the coffin, and Morgiana walked before it bare of head, striking her breast and weeping and wailing with exceeding loud lament, whilst Ali Baba and the neighbors came behind. In such order they entered the cemetery and buried him. Then, leaving him to Munkar and Nakir, the questioners of the dead, all wended their ways. Presently the women of the quarter, according to the custom of the city, gathered together in the house of mourning and sat an hour with Cassim's widow, comforting and condoling, presently leaving her somewhat resigned and cheered. Ali Baba stayed forty days at home in ceremonial lamentation for the loss of his brother, so none within the town save himself and his wife, Cassim's widow, and Morgiana knew aught the secret. And when the forty days of mourning were ended, Ali Baba removed to his own quarters all the property belonging to the deceased, and openly married the widow. Then he appointed his nephew, his brother's eldest son, who had lived a long time with a wealthy merchant, and was perfect of knowledge in all matters of trade, such as selling and buying, to take charge of the defunct's shop and to carry on the business. It so chanced one day, when the robbers, as was their wont, came to the treasure cave, that they marveled exceedingly to find nor sign nor trace of Cassim's body, whilst they observed that much of gold had been carried off. Quoth the captain, Now it behooveth us to make inquiry in this matter. And welcome back. I think I'm going to hold off on too much commentary until we finish this one next time, but I do hope you all found it exciting thus far. Also, we'd love to hear what you thought of this story-splitting experiment, so log on to forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought about it. And while we're talking about the forum, might as well hit up the old-timey feedback. This week is for Peter S. Beagle's Lila the Werewolf read, Hey, it was another one by Steve Anderson. This was a story from the 70s about a man and his girlfriend who, once a month, turns into a wolf. Generally, people seem to like it, although, to be honest, there wasn't a ton of feedback on the forums. Listener said, 
I felt like I got a real feel for 1970s era New York, and that's a testament to Beagle's writing and how it resonated with other media from that era that I've consumed over time. Overall, a pretty good episode. And Child of Tyranny said, The reading was crack on. The story was a bit on par for werewolf stories. Most werewolf stories, of course, are about losing control. This one focuses more on the effects it has on the people nearby than the werewolf, which is more unique but was fairly bland in that respect. The author noted that he wouldn't write this as much of a straightforward puberty allegory in the future, and it would be very interesting to see a similar story from a more experienced mind. Normally, I find violence against animals kind of distasteful in stories, but in this case it came across as sort of ridiculous to have a horde of dogs all running, hornily, towards their doom, as if they were part of some sort of love lemming, or as if she were some sort of canine poison ivy. It might have been meant seriously, but I ended up just finding it faux humorous once it moved beyond the pack, whose bones were being revealed through bites. Absurd is the word. Thanks to those comments. Another interesting thing people on our forum seemed to pick up on was Farrell's self-proclaimed skill for acceptance. For more on that, you can swing by forum.escapeartist.net, read up on all the comments for Lila the Werewolf, and this story. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Your money goes to paying our authors and keeping our castle flying high in the sky, keeping us away from murdering thieves who might try to pillage our own vault of wonders. And if you can't afford to donate, not a problem. We would love it if you'd blog, tweet, Facebook, write a review on iTunes for us, or just tell a friend. Passing on the word of Podcastle, getting more people to listen, is awesome. And it doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time. Thank you so much. Well, that was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Anne Leckie, Peter Wood, Anna Schwind, and myself, we want to thank you for letting us share another story with you. Tune in next time for the conclusion of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves to find out what happens to our heroes and villains. Just remember the secret password. We'll see you in a week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Helen Keller said, Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Shut Sesame! Sesame.